to John chapter 10. I'm going to read the first six verses. So John chapter 10, verses 1 through 6. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them. And his sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Let's just pray one more time. Father, I pray that you would give us what we need today from your word. Give us ears to hear. Help us to understand as you speak to us, as we read these words of Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we need to just kind of take a moment to kind of get our bearings here in John's gospel. We are a people who worship Jesus Christ. That's what the church is, the assembly. The word church just means assembly. It's the assembly of Christians, the assembly of the saints. The Westminster Shorter Catechism, which was a document that parents used to use to teach their children theology. Um, The Shorter is actually written for children. It's written in a question and answer format. I know that many of you are familiar with it. And the first answer is this. Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's the chief end of man, the chief purpose of mankind. We are a people who worship Jesus Christ. Let let that sink in. We are a people who worship Jesus Christ. There are places around the world where the claim of worshiping Jesus will get you killed. There are places around the world where the claim Christian will get you thrown in jail, kicked out of your family, disinherited. We don't just admire Jesus. We don't just follow Jesus or even just kind of swear allegiance to him. We we worship him. We worship him as the eternal, uncreated, omnipotent, omniscient, so all-powerful and all-knowing creator, sustainer, and redeemer of the universe. He is God, one with the Father and the Holy Spirit. And we worship, as Craig said in that song earlier, we worship God the Father, we worship God the Son, and we worship God the Spirit, one God in three divine persons. And so this morning we're going to talk specifically about Jesus Christ, God the Son. We worship Jesus. This is the context of John chapter 10. And this is what Jesus intends for us to do, worship Him, in response to what He says in this chapter. 
Now, as we saw chapter 9 play out in the last couple of weeks, um, the sight of this blind man there in chapter 9, whom Jesus had healed, his sight, his spiritual sight, became clearer and clearer throughout the chapter. We saw him gain that spiritual sight slowly as the chapter unfolded. We saw his conversion, I said last week, almost in, in slow motion. And we also saw the spiritual eyesight of the Pharisees become darker and darker and darker. In fact, in John 9, 24, the Pharisees even tell this healed man, they say, give glory to God. We know that this man, meaning Jesus, is a sinner. Those are the words that they want him to say. But then look at verse, uh, remember, John nine thirty eight, when this man turns to Jesus and he says, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. That was his ultimate response. Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. So by the time we get to chapter 10 here, the division between blindness and sight, between darkness and light, between blasphemy and worship, that division couldn't be any deeper. Now, at first glance, it just seems as if chapter 10 almost looks like it has nothing to do with chapter 9. John just seems to start this story, this dialogue here, or really Jesus' teaching, Without any transition or setup, he just begins with, truly, truly, I say to you. But I think that's because it's a continuation of chapter 9. In fact, I think what's happening in John 10, 1, is that Jesus is taking the focus off of the, the sign that he had just done, the miracle that he had just performed. He is taking the focus off of the healing of this blind, formerly blind man and putting it right where it belongs, on himself. See, signs indicate something. Signs give us direction. They show us where to look, where to go, right? That's what signs do. Um, they point at something, and here, it's Jesus. So as the chapter unfolds, it's clear that, that Jesus is still, he's still talking to some Pharisees, evidently those from the, the previous couple of verses right there at the end of chapter 9, who'd overheard his conversation with this former blind man. And so just verses 40 and 41 of chapter 9 says some of the Pharisees near him heard these things, and they said to him, are we also blind? That's a snide question. They're being sarcastic. And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you'd have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. And then he proceeds to tell them what, really what I'm calling a, a barnyard allegory here in chapter 10. Technically, this is not a parable. It's, a, it's an allegory. Uh, John calls it a figure of speech in verse 6. And it, and it really is an allegory because Jesus uses these meanings here to point to a, a deeper spiritual meaning behind it. But as we continue to kind of get our bearings here in John's gospel, I want to point out that the chapter 10, John chapter 10, marks the, the final two the two final public discourses of Jesus in this book. Chapter 11 is about the raising of Lazarus from the dead. Chapter 12 recounts the triumphal entry, Palm Sunday. 
Um, And then chapters 13 to 17, so for several chapters, we find what is known as the Upper Room Discourse. It's where Jesus teaches his disciples, essentially at the Last Supper. And then he's arrested in chapter 18. And so we can see that Jesus' teachings, because there are so many of them, so such, uh, it takes up such a big amount of John's gospel. They're very important here to John. And these final public statements, his final public teachings here in chapter 10, they especially stand out because, because Jesus is making this important contrast between Israel's blind guides which is a term that he will, he will call the Pharisees that in Matthew chapter 15, blind guides. He's making a, a contrast, a comparison and a contrast between these blind guides and the good shepherd. In fact, there are actually there are two contrasts that kind of dominate the chapter. The contrast between Jesus and the Pharisees as the shepherds of the people. And the contrast between, between the Pharisees and the former blind man as recipients of Jesus' message, as those who hear the things that Jesus says. I already told you what the blind man's response was. Worship. The Pharisees, as we know, because we know the end of the story, their response will be to put him on the cross and kill him, to shut him up, in an attempt to shut him up. But predominantly here as we look at chapter 10, we're going to hone in on this contrast between the Jewish religious leadership and the true leader of the people of Israel. But we also need to read this passage as we think of these things. We need to read this in light of so many Old Testament passages that that really severely reprimand Israel's shepherds who have failed in their duties. Let me give you two such passages In Jeremiah chapter 23, just the first four verses, we read this. Jeremiah the prophet says, Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Woe to them. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people. You have scattered my flock and have driven them away. You have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. Then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them. And I will bring them back to their fold and they shall be fruitful and multiply. I will set shepherds over them who will care for them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed. Neither shall there be any missing, declares the Lord. Woe to those shepherds, Jeremiah said. I also want to read, and I've debated reading this whole chapter, but I'm going to go ahead. Ezekiel chapter 34. Just bear with me. I want to read this. We have to read John 10 in light of these words. Ezekiel 34, the word of the Lord came to me, Ezekiel writes. And here is the word of the Lord. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy, preach, and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat. You clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. 
The weak you have not strengthened. The sick you have not healed. The injured you have not bound up. The strayed you have not brought back. The lost you have not sought. And with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. They became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered all over the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become a prey and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts since there was no shepherd and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds. And I will require my sheep at their hand and will put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. For thus says the Lord God, behold, I, I myself will search out for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries. I will bring them into their own land and I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture. And on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down with good grazing land. And on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of the sheep. And I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured. I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong. I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. As for you, my flock, says the Lord God, behold, I judge between sheep and sheep, between rams and male goats. It's not enough for you to feed on the good pasture that you must tread down with your feet the rest of your pasture and to drink of clear water that you must muddy the rest of the water with your feet. And must my sheep eat what you have trodden with your feet and drink what you have muddied with your feet? Therefore, thus says the Lord God to them, Behold, I, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep. Because you push with side and shoulder and thrust at the weak with your horns till you have scattered them abroad, I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be a prey and I will judge between sheep and sheep. And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David shall be a prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. I will make with them a covenant of peace and will banish wild beasts from the land so that they may dwell securely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. And I will make them and the places all around my hill a blessing. And I will send down the showers in their season and there shall be showers of blessing. 
And the trees of the field shall yield their fruit, and the earth shall yield its increase, and they shall be secure in their land, and they shall know that I am the Lord when I break the bars of their yoke and deliver them from the hand of those who enslaved them. Then they shall no more be a prey to the nations, nor shall the beasts of the land devour them. They shall dwell securely, and none shall make them afraid. And I will provide for them renowned plantations so that they shall no more be consumed with hunger in the land and no longer suffer the reproach of the nations. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God with them and that they, the house of Israel, are my people, declares the Lord God. And you are my sheep, the human sheep of my pasture. And I am the Lord your God, declares the Lord God. There are so many other warnings and promises throughout the Old Testament, even regarding sheep and and shepherds. So this teaching here from John chapter 10, these words of Christ to to them, it's not out of the blue. They They should have understood the imagery that Jesus was using. But verse 6 tells us that, that they didn't. They didn't understand what he was talking about. But the Old Testament scriptures clearly teach that God is the great shepherd of his people, Israel. The Jewish religious leadership, the Jews, the Pharisees, they should have known this. In fact, they should have been regularly praying for the people of Israel. For example, Psalm 80, verses 1 to 3, that says this, Give ear, O shepherd of Israel. They should have been praying these things for the people. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock. You who are enthroned upon the cherubim, shine forth before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh, some of the tribes. Stir up your might and come to save us. They should have been praying. Restore us, O God. Let your face shine that we may be saved. They should have been preaching to the people. From Isaiah 40, verses 9 to 11, which says, Go up to a high mountain on Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. They should, have been, they should have been praying these things. They should have been proclaiming these things to the people, reminding the people of who our God is. They should have been praying on every deathbed, just like we do. They should have been praying, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. 
You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. They should have been praying that on every deathbed. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. From the earliest days of Israel's history, God had had given responsibility to certain men to act as shepherds. Or more precisely, we would really say under-shepherds that would act on his behalf. Men like Moses, who was called while he was tending sheep. Men like Joshua, who learned at the hand of Moses. Various judges, including Samuel. Not to mention generations of priests and Levites who had specific responsibilities in in worship and in sacrifice. Then there were the kings. Saul, David, Solomon, and, and so many kings after them. There were prophets who would speak to the people on behalf of God. They were prophets, priests, and kings who were to act in so many ways as shepherds, as under-shepherds of the people for the people of Israel, the sheep of God's pasture. And those entrusted with that duty to shepherd God's people, God's flock, those people must be faithful. They were called to be faithful. They were commanded to be faithful. And in God's view, it was a heinous crime when they were not. We read couple of passages about that. He warned them over and over and over again, just like he did in Jeremiah 23 verse 1. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, God says. My sheep, God says. Throughout the Old Testament, the, the kings and the priests especially, they failed in their responsibility to shepherd the people of Israel. And so God had said, God had promised that he would send instead a different shepherd. A shepherd after God's own heart. We even read this, Ezekiel 34, just verses 23 and 24. I I read this a moment ago, and I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David. Again, this is written a long time after David was gone. And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. And he shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David shall be a prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. Jeremiah 23, 5 and 6 says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. And Jesus has been telling them all throughout John's gospel for chapters now, probably for over two years, Jesus has been telling them that he is the new David that he is a better shepherd for his sheep. So today when we think of a shepherd of the sheep, as, as biblically literate people, 
Um, As those familiar with the Bible, we often think of the serenity, when we think of shepherds, we often think of the serenity of Psalm 23. We think of lying down in green pastures. We think, as uh, the, the Gaithers sang, gentle shepherd, come and lead us, for we need you to help us find our way. That's an honest plea for our gentle shepherd, but he is... He's not anything less than that, but he is so much more than that. See, when we often think of the shepherd of the sheep, we think kind of merely in terms of of tender care and concern for the flock. And while that's true, and that is important, we often forget that, that tenderness and gentleness are not the only traits of a shepherd. In fact, don't forget that that before David was king, before he was crowned king, he was a shepherd. Listen to his job interview. Um, This is with his predecessor, King Saul. Saul is looking for someone, anyone, who would be willing to go up and defeat Goliath, the most feared opponent they had ever faced. He's looking for someone, and, and David approaches him, and he lays out essentially his resume. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 34, David says to Saul, Your servant, meaning himself, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and uh, and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defiled the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. So much of the shepherd's work, so much of the shepherd's work is actually killing predators. It is for in protecting the sheep. That's what Jesus is talking about here. In the other gospel accounts, when Jesus is seen as the shepherd, it's almost always within the context of his relationship specifically to the sheep. So, so for example, he leaves the 99 to go and get the one lost sheep. And, and, And there are other stories that are similar to that. And while that is still true here, John takes this even a step further. John shows Jesus as the good shepherd in contrast to these false shepherds. And because he is the rightful shepherd of the sheep, his sheep know his voice. So in chapter 9, we saw Jesus come upon one of the the lost sheep of Israel, this, this poor, blind beggar who by the end of the chapter confessed his belief in Christ and worshiped him. He's one of the lost sheep of Israel. And Jesus found him. Jesus gave him sight and, and eternal life. Though the, even though this man was vulnerable and explo- exposed, the good shepherd sought him out and saved him. But the Pharisees, these false shepherds, they accused this man, they reviled this man, and ultimately they cast him out. I think you can see the contrast between shepherds. So, that's a lot of background. 
But with all of that background, we need to look at this allegory, at this figure of speech here. So I said a moment ago that much of the shepherd's work is in killing predators. And Jesus has three names for these predators here in this allegory, in this account. Thieves, robbers, and strangers. Look at verse 1 and then jump down to verse 5. Verse 1 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. Verse 5, A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. So the setting is familiar. Um, The sheep are in the sheepfold. The sheep are in their pen where they are relatively safe except from thieves or robbers who are also by definition strangers, right? Now, generally speaking, the ancient world the ancient world differentiated slightly between thieves and robbers. Thieves would break into your home and steal your stuff. Usually um, either when no one was home or they'd sneak in in the middle of the night and steal things while you were sleeping. Whereas robbers would mug you on the street and take your wallet, which, of course, was, gentr- uh, was, was more violent. Either way, the Pharisees understood, if they had understood, had they understood what Jesus was saying, they should have been highly insulted by this. Because remember the background. They would have viewed themselves as the shepherds of the sheep of Israel. They viewed themselves as even the stewards of the law. But Jesus is calling them false shepherds. In fact, even worse than that, he's calling them thieves and robbers. You break in in the middle of the night and you steal what's not yours. And you, you accost them on the street. You violently attack them and steal what is not yours. So why do thieves and robbers break into the sheepfold, into the animal pens? into the the barnyard. I can think of three reasons. Um, There may be more, but here are, I believe, the three most common reasons why thieves and robbers do what they do. Either, A, for his own personal gain, so fast, easy money, make a quick, non-taxable buck, right? Or, B, to cause death and destruction, Uh, we can can all think of uh, those senseless crimes of vandalism, Or in rural societies like where we live, killing another person's animals just for the fun of it. And then the third reason, um, C, is really just simply out of hatred for the actual shepherd. The person who actually owns those sheep. So, So history is replete with stories of warring neighbors who might sneak in at night and kill their rival's herd, not for any reason other than just simply hatred of their enemy. They didn't want that herd. They just didn't want their enemy to have it either. So let's keep the kind of the point of this clear. Uh, In this passage, the thieves and the robbers are the Pharisees. And they have broken in and are stealing away the sheep of Israel for their own personal gain in order to cause havoc and because of their hatred for the true shepherd. All of that will become more and more clear as we see Jesus even arrested, tried, and and crucified. It will become clear their hatred for him. These are the same things that we see for false teachers that come into the church even today. Their motives are the same. 
personal gain. Uh, Paul warns in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 3, says, If anyone teaches a different doctrine, does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the, and the teaching that accords with godliness, he's puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He's an unhealthy, he has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain, financial gain. This is infecting the modern church. Maybe it's a cheap shot, but prosperity theology is spreading like wildfire, spreading all over places like Africa and South America especially. Almost all of, in our nation, and really around the world, almost all TV preachers hold to some form of prosperity theology. I wouldn't trust any one of them. I believe they're all thieves and robbers. And they're bent on causing death and destruction. Second Peter chapter 2, Peter warns, in, beginning in verse 1, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, he's telling the church, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. Many will follow their sensuality. Because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. And these false shepherds, not only are they looking to cause death and destruction, not only are they looking to to gain a fast buck and, and, and wreak some havoc, they also hate the true shepherd. Listen to what the epistle of Jude says. Jude writes, Beloved, Although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints, to fight for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our Lord of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. A couple verses later, he says, Yet in like manner these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. And again, he warns this. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They're loudmouth boasters, showing favoritism to gain knowledge. Or to gain advantage, rather. These are, these are thieves, thieves, robbers, and even strangers. And if you know the voice of Christ, you will flee from them. Because as Jesus says here, they did not come into the sheepfold by the door. They did not come into the sheepfold by the door. What does that mean? What does that mean? Well, he's going to explain it in a couple of verses, but first... He's obviously not talking about calling or commissioning. Many, many false shepherds, false teachers are ordained into the ministry. These people were put there. And rightfully so, as far as the, the sheep are concerned, they're supposed to be there. They didn't necessarily sneak into leadership, whether we're talking in Jerusalem or in the church. Many of the priests, for example, 
were supposed to be priests. Many of the kings of Israel were supposed to be kings. False teachers are sometimes put into ministry by those who have the rightful authority to do so. Yet, throughout that false shepherd's ministry, he never actually approached the door, which verse 7 tells us plainly is Jesus himself. I am the door. He says, truly, truly, down in verse 7, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. I have to quote, uh, I have to quote the Bishop of Liverpool again, J.C. Ryle. He, he says this, the true shepherd of souls is he who enters the ministry with a single eye to Christ, desiring to glorify Christ, doing all in the strength of Christ, preaching Christ's doctrine, walking in Christ's steps, laboring to bring men and women to Christ. The false shepherd of souls is he who enters the ministerial office with little or no thought about Christ, from worldly and self-exalting motives, but from no desire to exalt Jesus and the great salvation that is in him. Christ, in one word, is the grand touchstone of the minister of religion. The man who makes much of Christ is a pastor after God's own heart, whom God delights to honor. The minister who makes little of Christ is one whom God regards as an imposter, as one who climbed up to his holy office, not by the door, but by some other way. This whole thought, this whole, this whole section here, this whole idea should humble us, both of us, all of us, you and me. These Jews here, These Pharisees, they taught nothing real or right about Jesus. They taught nothing real or right about Christ, and yet here they are in leadership. Here they are looked up to. Remember, just back in chapter 9, the neighbors brought the man born blind to the Pharisees for answers. The community looked up to these people. This should humble us because, frankly, one day... Um, you will have the task of appointing another elder. You will have the task of hiring the next pastor, uh, your next shepherds, under-shepherds. It should humble us because there are elders here, even now, whose task it is to shepherd the flock of God. First Peter tells us that. If we are to evaluate a minister's ministry, Here's the question. Where is Christ? Where where is the door to that ministry? Look at verse 2. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him. And they know his voice. Now in this allegory, this is easy to understand. The true shepherd is not coming in through a window. He's not cutting a hole in the fence in the middle of the night. The true shepherd is coming into the fold of God's sheep by the way that God designed and by the way that God desires through the door. Now don't get too distracted here with how Jesus can be both the shepherd, and the door. He says, I am the good shepherd in a couple of more verses, down in verse, uh, what is it, verse 10, um, verse 11. He says he is the door here, and we can't get too distracted with that. We will explore that concept more next week, Lord willing. 
But suffice it to say it like this. In the same way that Jesus is the, the shepherd and the door is in the same way that he speaks the truth and is the truth. It's the same way that Jesus can be our great high priest and also the sacrifice for our sins. He's simply saying that the true shepherd is the one who comes to the sheep through the proper channels, through the way that God ordained, that God designed. Again, Ezekiel 34, he says, And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. I will make with them a covenant of peace. We see all of those promises. Those couple of verses there in Ezekiel 34, we see all of those promises play out over the rest of John's gospel. See, the Old Testament has laid out the path that leads to the door of Christ. Uh, The path by which the Savior himself would even come. A.W. Pink, um, he put it like this. He said, Christ answered to all that was written of the Messiah. And he took the path of God's will in presenting himself to the people. He walked through the door, and he is the door. Jesus is the great shepherd of the sheep, and the the scriptures attest to that. And to him, the gatekeeper opens, he says there. Now, in this context, it's not super clear who the gatekeeper is. Um. But we can see that it is, it is this gatekeeper, uh, we can see this about him. He, he has, he has, it is his presence, it is his actions that, that determine who's allowed to enter and call the sheep by name. So we can infer that this gatekeeper has some kind of authority. The sheep are not his, yet they have been entrusted to his care. Therefore, we can interpret this as the, the under-shepherds, or really, the scripture itself. Do you catch that? The gatekeeper has authority. And the picture is of the gatekeeper opening the door, bowing down to the great shepherd of the sheep, and saying, behold your God. But he has authority to keep out the false shepherds. That's the scripture. Scripture alone is our highest authority. It's the uh, Reformation doctrine of sola scriptura. Scripture alone. And Scripture always points to Christ. Scripture opens the door and says, Behold your God. And the gatekeeper uses that authority to care and protect. This is the work of an under-shepherd. The sheep do not belong to the under-shepherd. The sheep do not belong to the gatekeeper. The sheep belong to the true shepherd. The gatekeeper's job is to simply bring Christ into the courtyard, into the sheepfold, into this barnyard. (laughs) You got to bring wandering sheep back into the fold. Yes, to keep out the thieves and the robbers, but primarily to bring Christ into the sheepfold. We preach Christ crucified, Paul wrote. Him we proclaim, he wrote again. And his sheep, as his sheep, there are two truths I want you to see here as as we close this morning. The first truth 
if you are a sheep of the good shepherd, the first truth that you have to see here is that you are called by name, Jesus says. Called by name. The good shepherd calls his own sheep by name. This is a promise that was fulfilled the moment you were saved, the moment you were justified. So I'll ask you this question. Why did you become a Christian? If you have become a Christian, why did you become a Christian? It's because Jesus Christ called you by name. Listen to what Jesus said to to persevering Christians in the church at Sardis. In in Revelation chapter 3, verses 4 and 6, this concept is in other places too, especially in Revelation. But just listen to this. He says to the church at Sardis, Yet you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments with sin, and they will walk with me uh, in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and listen to this promise, and I will never blot out his name from the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He calls his own sheep by name, calling them to himself, and he will never blot your name out of the book of life. But in fact, promises to confess your name before God the Father himself. The second truth here is not only are we called by name, the second truth here is that Jesus Christ himself goes before us and leads us. He leads us. Christ leads his sheep beside still waters. Christ leads his sheep in paths of righteousness. He leads us, and even going before us when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and still we shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. My goal as a herald of the good news of Jesus Christ is that you would know his voice, and that knowing his voice, you would proclaim, as Isaiah or Psalm 95 says, you would proclaim, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before God, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts but run to him and trust that his promises are true. They shall know that I am the Lord their God with them and that they, the house of Israel, are my people, declares the Lord God. You are my sheep, the human sheep of my pasture, and I am your God, declares the Lord God. He leads us and he calls us by name. Pray with me. Father, we are um, humbled when we read verse 6 that they didn't understand these things. These false teachers didn't understand that Jesus himself is the shepherd, that he is the, the righteous branch that you have promised. But they didn't understand that The sheep are your sheep. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us to understand these things. 
that we would trust in the truth and the promise that you have called us, that Jesus himself has called us by name, will confess our names, will state our names to the Father, and that he leads us. It is my prayer that we would follow. It is my prayer that if there are any here, Father, who hear your voice, that they would not harden their hearts, but would trust in Christ for salvation. Lord, help us to believe and to follow our shepherd. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.